0: Thanks for tuning in to Horizon Community Church's podcast. Our hope and prayer is that wherever you are, you would be encouraged by this message and be equipped to face any challenges that come your way. More information about Horizon can be found at www.horizonweb.org. In 1975, the new Library of Congress librarian David Boyston found in a vault a box that was labeled Abraham Lincoln Contents the night he was murdered. And as he opened the box, he found many things. He found a a coin purse that had a $5 confederate bill inside of it. Many a couple other things, a boy's pocket knife. But in his wallet was found two pieces of newspaper print, both of which talked about his accomplishments as the President of the United States. One in particular was from John Bright, British House of Commons speech, that said, one of the greatest men of all time. Now, when you think about that today, other than those who are trying to rewrite history, we would have no doubt that Lincoln was one of the greatest presidents, one of my favorite presidents. Got a picture of him in my office, got a picture of him at home. Uh, but in 1865, not so much. I mean, he was reviled. Millions hated him. Thought he was evil, thought he was just a complete buffoon. And if you can picture Lincoln unfolding those things, because the one speech from, from Bright... Was well worn. And I don't know if you've been in a place that you have to go back and remember, kind of like you're good enough, you're smart enough, and gosh darn it, people like you. Especially when you're in leadership positions. Those slips of paper, those cards of encouragement carry you through. I know I've talked about it before that I have a book in my office called the I Was Once Somebody book. And in this book are cards and letters from people that have encouraged me over the years. And in the center of that book is two cards. One card basically says, if there was an opening on the Trinity, I should get it. I'm that good. Um, The next card on the other side of the page says, if Satan had a son, you are it. (laughs) And they're written by the same person. And I keep that there for perspective. I mean, it's kind of like a football coach. You're only as good as your last game, right? And um, sometimes as leaders, and some of you know what I'm talking about, whether you're leaders in church, leaders in business, um, it can be lonely. Loneliness usually goes hand in hand with leadership. Now, I've been blessed that I have great friends here. I've got a great support system. I mean, I got a text from my good friend Mitch early this morning that he was praying for me, and uh, so I I feel supported, but there are those times when in leadership that loneliness goes hand in hand, and the statement that Swindoll said, which is perfect, loneliness stocks where the buck stops. Some of you know exactly what that means, that in leadership positions, a lot of times you can't say, what's really going on? You have information that is confidential, but you've had to make decisions that no one knows that information. There are times when a very loud minority drowns out the silent majority. And there are times that, you know, again, much like Lincoln, much like any one of you guys who've been in those positions of leadership, loneliness stalks you. And I think as we finish, we're finishing Second Timothy today, there's a sense of that with Paul as he comes down to the end of all things. Now, quick review. We've covered a lot of ground in 12 weeks. Hold it high, guard it well, pass it on. And again, this is part of the, even today's talk again. We talked about gifts are not automatic. You got to fan that. If you don't fan it, it's not going to flame. You can't live a committed life without it costing you something. You have to pay a price, which Paul ultimately will pay. talked about courage is impossible um, without a strong biblical conviction. God desires not to make you comfortable. He wants you to grow up. He wants you to be holy. That's his desire. God desires that for us to understand that this mission that we're on is unstoppable. Stephen talked about, does your lifestyle consistently reflect the character of God, or are you just a visitor of God's pleasure? Mission possible, Dinesh brought the word. He said, you have been called, commissioned, and will be held accountable, so hold the truth high, guard the truth from lies, and pass it on. Last week, the good fight I have fought, the course I have finished, the faith I have kept. And the question I want to pose, and we'll re-ask this at the end, the challenge will be, if you knew you had a short time to live, what would you want to say? I mean, if the doctors told you—which doctors who give you a date—I think are stupid—but I like their God or anything. That's in God's hands. But if you knew you had a short time, what would you write down? What would you want to say to those around you? And that's the conclusion that we're finding as Paul brings us to an end in 2 Timothy. So if you have your Bible, smartphone, devices, 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting at verse 9, we're going to finish this up today. He writes to Timothy, Do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Capris of Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander, the metal worker, did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposes our message. And my defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Priscilla and Aquila in the household of Nisiris. Erastus stayed in Corinth, and I said, and I left Trophimus to, 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 to sick in Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. You, us greet you. And so does Putins, Linus, and Claudia, and all the brothers and sisters. Lord be with your spirit. Grace be to you. Again, we have to picture Paul in this cold cell, chained with other condemned men. Thinking that probably his bones were aching. Some of you know exactly what that is. You can tell, well, it's going to be a rainy day. My knee's hurting today. Uh, I mean, all those wounds, all those things that he had gone through. And he begins to reflect, in what does he want to tell P- Timothy at the end? And so he says, two painful memories he's going to talk about, and then a lot of faithful friends. Because ministry is networking. I know, and you guys know, you can't do ministry by yourself. How many volunteers is needed for Night to Shine? Just a couple couple hundred. I mean, it's a network of people. I mean, people that didn't even know they were working on the same project, because some are doing hair and makeup, some are doing this, some are doing this, making dresses that aren't going to be there. I mean, it's just a network, a massive network of people. And Paul uses, this is his network, that he can't do ministry on his own. And so this end here is not like a PS, by the way. This is ordained by God to realize there are a lot of people involved in ministry. And many of these names here, we have no clue who they are. I mean, church history doesn't remember them. I guarantee you, Timothy knew exactly who these people were as he went through the list. Verse 9 says, do your best to come to me quickly. Later on in this place, he says, come before winter. Because if you didn't get out before winter, you weren't coming. I mean, boats were docked. It was too treacherous out in the Mediterranean to to go. And so, come quickly. This, This has the idea of haste. Get here at top speed because I don't have much time left. And then he begins to reflect. Verse 10 says, For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Now, he's named Demas. Now, for eternity, for 2,000 years, Demas, I have never met a Demas, (laughs) let alone. I mean, because he was the one who left. He deserted He was a close associate to Paul. He had poured himself into him. He's mentioned several times in Colossians, Philemon, and Acts. And so Paul had faithfully poured into Demas. But something happened where all of a sudden when he says, but he loved this world, which is not a positive love. We are supposed to, Jesus loved the world. That's not what he's talking about here. He got caught up into the world system again. This is how John writes, 1 John two fifteen seventeen. 17. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of the eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires will pass away, but the man who does the will of God will live forever. Demas sought after the world. He sought after the power, the status, the possessions, the pleasures, the money. That was a draw on him. This world represents the system of Satan. It's his world and how he has lined things up. Represents how people make decisions and it's based on the world's way of thinking, not God's way of thinking. Jesus alluded to this in the parable of the, the seeds, where the seeds land on different soil. He said in Matthew 13, verse 20, the one who received the seed that fell on rocky soil is the man who hears the word and once received it with joy, but since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. Guys, that is why it's so important discipleship. That is why it's so important. You make a commitment to Christ. We need to get. We want to get you plugged in. We need to help you grow. Because if you're just going off that first joy, yeah, I'm Chris done this, and you have no root, when things get difficult, and they will get difficult, you will quickly fall away. And that's what Demas did. His cowardice was greater than his commitment. And this word deserted literally means utterly abandoned, leave someone helpless in a dire situation. And I get it. Uh, I've been in ministry too long to, I mean, there's been great successes, but there have been great failures where I've poured myself into people that have chosen to go back, that have chosen to depart from the faith. And I'm telling you, um, that is a difficult thing to take. Some of you know exactly what I mean. Some of you have kids. You have poured inside your kids, and your kids have perp, gone the other direction, and it just rips you apart inside. That's what Paul is when he's talking about Demas. He deserted me. He was a fair weather disciple. But he's thankful at the same time. He's thankful for those who did not desert him. Crassus here has gone to Galatia. We don't know much about Krasens. Um And it's funny, if you were to look at my notes, you would see that I've put in parentheses next to his names how to phonetically pronounce them. Um, so if I'm pausing a bit. I've got to read the my way of saying it that makes sense to me because I'd listen to it con- constantly to get these names kind of right in my, unless my own layer. But Crescent was, we know nothing about him other than he was a dedicated leader that he could be counted on. Titus we know a little about because we have the book of Titus. Paul wrote a specific book to Titus that he was a leader within the church. He was a pastor. He was, a tr- as he, talked about, he was a true child in the faith, according to Paul. Verse 11 talks about Luke is with me. Now Luke has been a longtime companion of Paul, thousands of miles on missionary journeys. Three times, though, he's only mentioned in the New Testament, even though he wrote, he's the only Gentile author. He wrote the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts, which technically is one book that we've split up. He was a historian. He was a doctor. Even though they called him doctor or physician, we'd never see him working on anybody. We don't know what kind of doctor he was, but he was known as a physician. He was Paul's friend. He was Paul's secretary, and he was a humble servant, always seeking to serve Paul. When it says there in verse 11, get Mark and bring him with you because he's helpful to me in my ministry, that, that's a sermon unto itself. Mark was an early disciple. He was in Jerusalem, the first church in Jerusalem. And obviously he had some leadership skills because they sent Mark to go with Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey. But something happened where Mark got scared and Mark deserted them and went back to Jerusalem. Paul does not put up with people that's not going to commit themselves. And so when Paul and Barnabas were about ready to go on a second missionary journey, Barnabas said, let's let's take Mark. And Paul says, no way. He deserted us once. I'm not taking that that boy. I know he's your, and they were related, Barnabas and Mark. I know this is your, your nephew, but I don't want him. He bailed on us once, he'll bail on us again. And to the point they had such an argument that Paul and Barnabas split up. Paul took Silas, Barnabas took Mark. And we never see Paul and Barnabas together again. And it was all because of Mark. But something happened to Mark in those 20 years. Barnabas means son of encouragement. So that's what he must have done, is encourage Mark to the point where now Paul is saying, get Mark. He's useful to ministry right now. Guys, Mark's usefulness testifies to forgiveness and redemption. It's always available for brothers and sisters. And again, one of the hardest parts of leadership is when you see people fall, when you see people fail, and you want to encourage them, you want to come alongside them, and sometimes they want nothing to do with you. And that's, again, I can think of ones right now that create pain in me instantly to think about the names. Because not only the pain it brings me, the pain it brought here. But at the same time, there have been great stories of redemption, of people who've come back and have now served, who've been humbled, if you will, and now are useful in the ministry. Paul says in verse 12, I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. Again, he was a trusted courier. We don't know if he was a pastor or a preacher or what, but we do know that he was trusted, that he was handed the letters of Timothy. He was handed the letters of Titus and bring those, and he was remembered by the apostle. Verse 13 says, When you come, bring the cloak that I left with capers at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. The cloak was a large, heavy wool garment that you could either wear as a coat or use as a blanket. So here's Paul just wanting some comfort in his cell. And it was worth, it was worth a lot of money. I particularly like when he says, and bring my scrolls, especially the parchments. Here's a guy in jail, knows this is the end and he—it's not that. Hey, can you bring a Time magazine? I need some reading material while I'm in jail. That's not what he's asking for. Can you bring the scrolls? I want to read the scriptures. And can you bring the parchments, which most likely were the letters he'd written? Paul knew he was going to go, and he still wanted to learn about God. I have a friend here at the church. Um, who this is the epitome of because doctors have told him he only, you know, unless God shows up or one of these treatments that were, experimental treatments we're gonna try, your time is near. But I continually get texts from him. Hey, Tim, I, I've read this good book. This would be a great book for you to learn about God. From I mean, just do, hey, can I buy some Bibles for new Christians? That I mean, he's constantly on the move, learning. He's just not going to sit back and you know just rest at home. And no, he is still active. He is still in motion. He's this verse, I want to still learn about my Master because I'll be maybe meeting him soon. 2 Timothy 4, 14 says, Alexander, the metalworker did me great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. Now, Alexander, that's why when my kids named uh, Bubba Alexander, they said, we're well, we going to redeem the name because Alexander is not a good name in the scriptures. Whether it was, I mean, Paul has run into many Alexanders, and this one, a coppersmith, a metal worker, has done him great harm. Whether that was personal, whether that because he's up against the gospel, I think it was both physical and personal, obviously. You can't get physical without getting personal. And so he is, he's caused me great harm. But I want to love here, but the Lord will repay him for what he's done. Vengeance, vengeance is coming. And that's back to, he wrote that in, in Romans. Let the Lord repay. He's better at it than you. I think I'm pretty good at re- re- repaying people for hurting me. I can think of some great things to do. Now God's much better than that. And it's much fiercer than that. And he tells to me, you too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposes our message. More than an enemy of Paul, he was an enemy of the gospel. He was an enemy of God. And Paul had no problem calling him out. I mean, I... Again, understand what the Christians were going through. Nero was on a campaign to destroy Christians. He set Rome, Rome on fire. He had to have a scapegoat. And so if anything he can do to, to damage the Christians, and that's why the persecution, that's why they were taking people and sewing them up in the skins of animals and throwing them in the arena with wild dogs. That's why they were lighting Christians in his gardens to, to light the night for him. I mean, again, we, we are so far removed from that. We get mad that you know my boss doesn't want me to wear a cross at work or something. I'm being persecuted. I'm not saying that's not, but hey, hello. And these what the, these Christians were facing. I mean, they were thrown in jail because they took communion because they believed it was cannibalistic, because you're eating the blood and body of Jesus Christ. And you're you're an atheist because you don't swear to all the gods that the Roman Rome does, and you won't bow down to Caesar as the deity. And this is what Paul was in. Here's Nero. Paul lived under a regime in which truth had become irrelevant and logic had been conscripted to serve the emperor's whims. Sounds familiar today. You've got a governor of this state, you know his name, who puts a billboard out to come to our state for abortion and then puts, the, puts a Bible verse underneath it. You want to get me fired up? All right, what the hell? I mean, MacArthur says, Newsom, your soul is, I would have put it differently. He put it very nicely. How dare you? I mean, guys, all you have to do is look at the bills he's just signed of what he wants to do to kids inside the body and outside the body, the mutilation of both. That should raise the hair, that should make you speak out. I mean, some people. well, we don't want to get political. Guys, I don't be, I'm not political, I'm moral. I will talk about things that the Bible talks about and call out people that need to be called out that, man, we need to pray for Newsom because I'm telling you right now, God is going to God is going to if he hasn't already begun judgment's coming vengeance is his guys i'm just telling you that and we need people who are believers in Jesus Christ that will call out the alexanders call out warning call out the nero's call and pray for them because their souls and the souls of others are at stake Let me me take a drink here for a minute. Some of you are pissed off. Sorry. Go to Mike at horizonweb.org. I'll throw him under the bus. (laughs) Paul says in verse 16, and my first defense no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. Wow. I mean, the Roman court had two court systems. That's how it was. First, the, the first court would establish the charge. The second court would establish guilt or innocence. And no one was with him. Many commentators doubt that Luke was even, not even there yet. Because by all accounts, Luke would have been standing next to him. But whoever stood next to Paul was sign and putting a sign around their neck. I'm next. And it says it don't let them be held against them. I I would like to say that that's what I would want to write or pray. Wow. I mean Stephen as he's getting stoned, it don't, you know, praying for those who are stoning him. Jesus, you know, they don't know what they're doing. I look at it, they knew exactly what they're doing. And he's not not saying they're like Demas because he would have said so if they were. They just, their hearts were scared. And rightly so. And Paul's saying, Jesus may not be held against them on judgment day. But verse 17, but the Lord stood by my side. And gave me strength. Now, some of you, maybe there well you know, of course the Lord's by our side. He says He's going to be there. I think He just looked over and he saw the Lord Jesus standing there. Well, how can you say that? Because several other times <laughs> He's done it. And acts as He stood before a, a group of people, and He shakes the dust off their off His clothes and say, "I'm going to the Gentiles and the Lord." went there that night and encouraged him. He's standing before the Sanhedrin and everybody wants a piece of him, but no, he he says that night the Lord came to him and visited him. He's on a ship in a storm that's about to go down and the Lord came to him and encouraged him. The ship, you will not drown. I, I put this on, it'll be on the website under the notes for this sermon, but I wrote this, it's called Standing With Me, and I, God promised Joshua in the middle of a fight that he would never leave or forsake, be strong and courageous, morning, noon, and night. The apostle Paul, standing before an angry crowd, shook the dust from his clothes, saying, I'm not responsible for you all. And the Lord Jesus paid him a visit late in the night hours assuring him that he was with him. He's got all the power. Paul standing before our religious leaders all wanting a piece of the man again in night hours stood by him. Take courage. It's all part of my plan. Paul on an angry stormy sea on a boat that was going down assured all those around him the Lord said that none of you would drown. Paul stood before an angry Roman court, the emperor wanting his death. None of his friends were there. They deserted him. They all left. But one stood by him as he promised that he would, gave the strength to testify he was solid and strong as ironwood. We all have been given a promise that Jesus would never leave or forsake. He will never lose his grip. He will never let us sink. Without God, I can do nothing. He calls me to fight and speak. The cost is that I could lose it all. His will is what I constantly seek. Jesus promises to never leave us or forsake us. And some of you know exactly when you have gone through difficult times, when you felt the Lord's presence right there. And Paul knew that. The Lord stood by my side. He gave me strength so that through me the message, he says in verse 17, might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. Paul was the, the apostle to the Gentiles. And now he's seen as he's in this Roman court that is going to pronounce his death that he had, this was an opportunity to accomplish what God had set forth in motion in the first place. That God has called me to move forward to the Gentiles and now I get to preach the gospel. So not only am I fulfilling my calling, I get to do exactly what I've been called to do, is preach, and most likely people say that Nero was there because Nero wanted to see Paul go down, that he was able to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, that they would all hear and it says that I was delivered from the lion's mouth. Now, some say in the lion's mouth, that's Nero, that he was called a lion. I don't believe that's what it is. I mean, there's a reference to, you know, I think it's Daniel in the lion's den. But there's one person in the Scripture who's called a lion, and that's the devil himself. That he's a prowling lion, roaring, seeking someone to devour. And Paul says... <laughs> The devil has no ultimate power. (laughs) Only those who belong to Christ understand that. And the rescue... When he says in verse 18, the Lord will rescue me from the evil attacks and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. He's not telling rescued from prison. He's not saying rescued from all harm. And if, you bought, if you've heard a gospel that says, you know, God wants you healthy, wealthy, and wise, and your cars will always run, and your kids will always obey, and you'll always have all the money in the world, uh, that's not the gospel, guys. The gospel promises pain suffering. Remember, if you desire to live a Christ-like life, it's going to cost you. But the promise is that he will rescue me from the devil's hands. None of the devil's plans will succeed, and he will bring me to heaven safely. And I love this, to him be glory forever and ever, amen. And you think that'd be the end of the letter because that's like a doxology where he's just given the praise. And that's the difference, guys, when a life is being lived and directed by the Holy Spirit, you can see all that's around you and go, to God be the glory. I may not understand it, but I know he's gonna rescue me because he promised that and I can hold to that promise. And someday he's gonna take me to be with him greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household, of N- N- Niserus. I'll say that 10 different times, 10 different ways. Priscilla and Aquila were tent makers alongside their husband wife team who were there for Paul. Erastus stayed in Corinth, left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter, Timothy. Eubulus greets you, and so does Putins and Linus and Claudia. And all the brothers and sisters. He just makes a list of all his network. And Timothy knew who all these people, were. they're both men and women, who all were connected in ministry to have the church go forward. And lastly, verse 22 says, the Lord be with your spirit. Grace be to you. Now it's interesting, the Lord be with your spirit, that your is, is singular. So he's saying that to Timothy. Timothy, the Lord be with your spirit, and then to the church, grace be with you, which Paul continually preached the rule of grace. So he finishes here, and I, I want you to, to be encouraged, guys, because between Paul's writings, he lists about a hundred different people in the Acts and the le- his letters hundred different people that he was connected to that made the church go forward. It was men and women. He named friends and he named enemies. Faithful people and those even deserted him, but over a hundred people because the church cannot function without us all using our gifts and talents to move it forward. And Paul knew that. John Wesley said this, he says, "God buries his workmen, but his work goes on. Most of these people we have not a clue who they were, but Paul did. Timothy did. they were necessary for the network. And for the most part, most of us in this room, if not all of us, people other than our families, will remember who we are. Any have any note but God does. And God notes your work to make the church move forward, his kingdom to go forward. God remembers that. Because he remembers the faithful. And this network is Paul listed name after name. I'm going to a different place, I know, but these people will make the church continue. This church will continue past me and past the next guy and past the next guy, past you especially when we plan it to faithful men and women and stirring up the gifts and giving them the responsibility that I can't do everything, you can't do everything, but we have a network of people when all of a sudden we're doing that, which we've been given a gift, we're gonna fan that into flame and use that gift for his kingdom. Let's be blessed. This is my challenge to you at the end of this message is... um, Back to that question, if you knew you had a short time to live, what would you want to say? And some of you have done this, and it's not the first time I've talked about this. I mean, have you ever just wrote a letter to your family? Um, I remember David Murphy, we did his funeral last December died in his early 40s, but when I was meeting with the family, his bride said, we found letters that he'd written to all of us that we did not know he had written. I mean, how encouraging those words were to each one of the kids and to his bride. How powerful that was. This week I got an email from Christina Metcalf, Renee Metcalf's daughter. She attends uh, our Lodi campus um, with her husband, Stephen, And she shared a story how a certain individual had impacted her husband's life. This person was US Marine Sergeant, uh, Staff Sergeant Daniel Clay, who was killed in Iraq in 2005, December 2005. Stephen Metcalf was there with him, serving in the Marines when that all happened. And when talking about the power of Daniel Clay that had on Stephen's life before and even after, a matter of fact, when Stephen and Christina had a boy, they named him after Daniel Clay. But what most people don't know is Staff Sergeant Daniel Clay had written a letter, and and many people in battle, some of you who have been in service and know that, you've left a letter behind to be opened in case of your death. And staff sergeant had done that, given it to his father. And upon opening that, it was a letter that was addressed to mom, dad, brothers, sisters, his wife Lisa, and so he decided to write Dad decided to write to the President of the United States at the time, George Bush. And you can find these letters online. They're very powerful. But just telling him about his son and how much he loved his country and served his country. And he attached the letter, Daniel's last letter, to that. And in 2006, at the State of the Union, President George Bush read the letter, parts of it anyway. I watched it yesterday. I mean, I get what i thinking about it. It's very powerful. So here's this letter that he wrote, just in case, I don't come home. A couple of things he wrote in this. First line was, boy, do I love each and every one of you. This letter being read means that I've been deemed worthy of being with Christ. And then there's statements to mom and dad and his wife and the kids. I know what honor is. This is what President Bush read. I know what honor is. It's not a word to be thrown around. It has been an honor to protect and serve all of you. I face death with the secure knowledge that you would not have to. This is as close to Christ-like as I can be. I have the privilege of being one who has finished the race. I've been in the company of heroes. I now am counted among them. Never falter. Don't hesitate to honor and support those of us who have the honor of protecting that which is worth protecting. My race is over. My time in war zone is over. My trials are done. A short time separates all of us from his reality. So laugh, enjoy the moments, and your duty. God is wonderful. (laughs) The power of that to the mom and dad, the power of that to the kids, the power of that to his wife, the power of that being read before the state of the United States Congress Guys, uh, you don't understand what those kind of words do. And as Paul's writing this Timothy, dear Timothy, may God be with your spirit. We don't know if Timothy and Paul uh, if Timothy ever got to Paul, we don't know. Um, I want to encourage you as part of an assignment is, to take time to write a letter. Well, that's morbid to think about. No, it is not morbid. Because guess what? Let me, let me, and this might be a surprise. Y'all gonna die. Okay, sooner or later, unless Jesus comes back, is write a letter. Get on your computer, start typing. And if you do write the letter, let the family know there's a letter. You've heard me say many times. I got a video on my computer. I update. I got updated again. Got a new baby coming. Um, that's morbid. I think it's kind of hilarious, I'd, I'd love to see the guy. You know, video of the guy. If you're watching this, I'm dead. Uh, but here's what I got to say. Do your family and friends a favor as a pastor who has to do services. That makes for a powerful service. It makes for a powerful service when I'm handed a Bible of the person who's passed and I look through it and I read what they've written inside of it. That these passages were influential. As I sat with a friend going through a difficult time. My Bible was there as we sat in the courtyard, and I was talking about journaling and writing in my Bible, and I showed him some pages in my Bible. He says, wow, your kids are going to fight over this. Sit down and write something. It's not morbid. So what would you say? Now you're going to make me have to update it. Well, I'm still here. Wow, didn't think I'd get this far. Um That's Paul's last letter. Probably not thinking, you know, there's gonna be the church reading this two thousand years later from now. I better think about what I put in this letter, yeah. Or maybe that would humble you to write a letter because how much do you have to pass on to your kids or your family? Or the things you'd like to change that this letter could be more positive than, you know. I'm gone. You're probably all happy now. Uh, I've done funerals like that, guys. Uh, when I'm the only one that says anything, because no one has anything good to say, those aren't fun. I don't even know why they do them. I've really, literally sat down with them. You know, you don't have to do a service. I mean, are you fearing that they're going to come back and haunt you or something? I mean, literally, what they, how they related to who this person was, was shocking. I couldn't, I can't even repeat it. Um, but what if a letter was written to your spouse, to your kids, your grandkids? Uh, what would you be remembered for if you knew you had a short time to live? What? Say, how powerful that could affect people years beyond the life you've lived. Father, I thank you for this letter. Um, I thank you for your inspiration to Paul to write it. Um, Father, help us to hold on to that, what you've given us. Father, help us to hold it high, this truth that you've entrusted with us, to guard it well when people speak ill against it, that we can defend this truth and speak the truth. And, Father, that we can pass it on to the next generation, to our children, to our grandchildren. Father, we thank you for this day. You gave his breath. I means you're not done with us yet. Help us take advantage of that, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.